that was hidden in plain sight. Uh, and by that, what I had in mind was that uh, these things that are speaking of the Lord Jesus are part of the religious experience, the daily lives of worship of God's people, focusing particularly on uh, the Torah, that is uh, what the Lord Jesus calls the law of Moses, what's you know, sometimes just called Moses, the law of Moses, the Torah, the, the first five books, and what is there, uh, just formed part of the life of, uh, of God's people. You know, for example, I focus on a number of things that we find in the Torah about the Lord Jesus. For example, he's introduced to us as our high priest, our superior high priest in Genesis. Genesis chapter 14, remember when uh, Abraham is coming from the rescue of his, of his nephew Lot, he meets this high priest, a priest forever, we are told in, uh, later on in the Psalms, uh, in the order of Melchizedek. So we meet Melchizedek, who is really a figure of Christ. Uh, and we see that when we come to Hebrews. Then we are introduced to the Levitical priesthood, uh, of which the priesthood of the Lord Jesus is a superior. So the Levitical priesthood was part of the life and worship and day-to-day living of the, of the people of God. And we see that introduced in the book of Exodus, uh, going into, into uh, the book of Leviticus. And then the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that uh, uh, qualifies, him as a, qualifies him as our Savior, we see that in the very beginning of the, of the Bible. We see that in Genesis uh, chapter 3, for example. I didn't actually refer to that. But after Adam and Eve have sinned, you remember that they are hiding from God because of their nakedness. And in a sense, like Isaiah puts it later on in Isaiah 59, I think it is, that it's this, our sin that is a barrier between us and, uh, and God. And you and I, as Christians, we, we are aware of being dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, Adam and Eve were dressed in skins. Now, obviously, those skins came from somewhere. And those skins represent the death of an animal in order to cover their nakedness. You, you find that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. So we see something of this, of, of the salvation that is going to come through the Lord Jesus, dealing with our sin at the cost of the Lamb of God. And then, of course, in, uh, in Exodus, we actually see the Lamb uh, that is slain so that its blood can offer protection for God's people as the destroyer goes through Egypt, killing the firstborn of the Egyptians. So the lamb of the, 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 the blood of the lamb protecting God's people from the destroyer. And we also are protected from the wrath of God. He made him to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that the wrath does not fall on us because it fell on the Lord Jesus. And uh, this, this uh, idea of the sacrifice is repeated over and over and over again, of course, 
in Leviticus and, uh, and the numbers. And you remember how the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus about the need to be born again. And in order for him to be born again, he needs to be crucified. He needs to die on the cross. And we find that picture again in the Torah. We find that in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. Remember this, this snake that was put on the, uh, the snake that Moses was, uh, was told to make and put on a pole and lift it up. So that those who had offended God, who were bitten by snakes, all they needed to do, as one hymn writer has put it, look and live. In other words, just speaking about faith, just believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Because, Jesus says, you remember John 3.16, because God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And our election, our salvation by grace, is again there in, in, uh, in the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, God says to his people, you're not entering this promised land because you're such a wonderful people. Because I know that you're stiff-necked. In other words, you're a bunch of sinners. But it's only because of his grace. So all those things are found in the Torah. So my focus was just to find these wonderful gems that speak of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our High Priest, and our great salvation, all depicted there in the first five books of the Bible. And, and, and part of the reason I was doing that is because Jesus says, uh, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of, of Moses. That was my focus last week. And if you're here, then you, you know, obviously, I didn't quite put it in those words. But that's, that was my focus. That we find these things that are there. Because the Torah was part of the life of the people of God. Daily there were sacrifices. Once a year, there was, the, there was the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And every year, there was, a, uh, there was the feast of, uh, that we remember, that we remember today, uh, as the Lord's, the Lord's Supper uh, that was instituted in Exodus. So my focus was really to see what is there in the Torah. Because that was there every day. It was before them, all, all the time. Now, today what I want to do is to just answer a number of questions. A number of, a number of questions in relation to the title that I've been given, the, the hidden gems. So, so the first question, question that I ask is, are these gems really hidden? Are they really hidden? I was suggesting last week that they're in plain sight, but are they, in a sense, hidden? And so I want to read uh, with you uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and start 
from there. Just seeking really to answer that question. And you, I guess you discover that I'm, I'm saying, yes, they are indeed hidden, even though they might seem to be lying around. Kind of like, uh, is it Rhodes who found this diamond somewhere? And uh, the people who lived with those diamonds thought were just just stones, just little rocks, maybe might even use them malegin, you know, not knowing that uh, other people will put great value uh, on them once they've been given the insight. If you're there, I'll read from 1 Peter. And again, the Apostle Peter, he, he's writing to Christians who are suffering because of persecution. Uh, but he doesn't start with oh pepani na vera kuti mvutika maningi so sorry for you you know may the lord just strengthen you he doesn't start like that uh, listen to how he how he addresses these people that he calls god's elect in a sense of privilege to god's elect strangers in the world Scattered throughout Pontius, Galatian, Cappadocia. That's how he's describing their, their persecution and their scatteredness, their exile and so on. He describes them as privileged people. And here is where their, uh, their privilege comes from. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercies given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And obviously anything that's going to be revealed means that it's, in some senses, hidden for the time being. In this salvation, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief. You may... Let me read that again. In, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Again, the idea that something is, is hidden, but at some point it will be revealed in, uh, in its fullness. Concerning this salvation, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, and I'll be focusing today on the second volume of the Old Testament, that is the the Nevi'im, the, the prophets. So I'll be focusing on, on that. On, I'll be dealt with the Torah. I'll be focusing on the, uh, on the prophets. Uh, and then next week, well, next time, uh, I'll be focusing on the Psalms, the Ketuvim, the writings, as they speak about the Lord Jesus. So concerning this salvation, this salvation that the Lord Jesus brings, uh, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with great care. Now, when you're searching for something, it means it's, 
it's, it's like it's hidden. You're looking for it. Trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing them, was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So even from angels, this salvation of ours, this great privilege that we have, this, this gospel age in which we live, has things revealed to us that even those who spoke of them, even those who predicted about the suffering of the Lord Jesus, about his resurrection, and about the salvation that's available to us, they didn't quite understand what it is that they were talking about. Those things were indeed still hidden. So, are these gems really hidden? It seems to me that the Apostle Peter is saying, yes, they are. Let me, and I'll basically be just going through scripture as I ask a number of these questions. So is there a hiddenness to these things? And the answer, as the way the Apostle puts it here, is that yes, even those who spoke of them, those prophets that spoke of them, and I'll be focusing particularly on, on Isaiah, and just a little portion of Isaiah that speaks of the Lord Jesus, his suffering, his resurrection, our salvation, and the kind of glorious uh, experience that he has of the results of his ministry to us as sinners. Remember he said, I didn't come to be served, but came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. We'll be going to Isaiah just to give a little uh, sample of that. So Ephesians, another place which implies that these things that are in the Old Testament concerning the Lord Jesus are in a sense hidden and are only revealed to us in the time uh, of the gospel age in which we live. Let me read from Ephesians. Ephesians to me, I, I usually describe it as a kind of brochure. And you know, when you pick up a brochure of a holiday or whatever, it sort of whets your appetite of what you can find uh, there. You know, whether it's a brochure of a business or a holiday or whatever, it depicts something of the glories that can be found there. In the book of Ephesians, what I see depicted are the blessings that we have in, in, in Christ. So it's a very general letter, in a sense, it's not dealing with a particular problem uh, to begin with. So the first, the first three chapters are just displaying the blessedness that we have as uh, God's people. And the apostle starts with, with worship. And he's so carried away with just the wonder of the blessedness that we experience that he just writes one Greek sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. It's just one continuous challenging sentence to, uh, to translate into another language because it's just one long Greek sentence. You can just 
sense how excited the apostle is. And I want to suggest to you that there is something of that kind of aha experience that the apostle Paul is uh, wanting to kind of share with, with, with us. And later on he gets on his knees and prays that we might, we might grasp some of these things that have been hidden until now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So that's the heading. That is a summary of what the Apostle Paul is excited about and what he wants to talk about. And then he begins to list some of the blessings that we have. The blessing of election, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So can you see grace there? Before the creation of the world, he chose you. What had you done? You were not even there. That is blessing that is hidden in eternity, even before creation was, uh, uh, came into being. For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. He already set a goal that we are going to be children of God through faith, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Again, everything revolves around, the, uh, around Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of, of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And this is what I'm heading at here as I answer the question, are these gems hidden? The apostle says, and this is the blessedness that we have. Those things that are hidden are revealed to us. And we're able to see those things that angels could only try to pick and not quite see the things that we are able to see now. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. He made known to us the mystery, mysterion, something that is mysterious, something that is hidden. He made known to us the things that angels longed to look into. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. In other words, the purpose gives you direction to where you're going. And the purpose was to be ultimately fulfilled in the appearing of Christ. Verse 10, to be put into effect, that purpose was to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, so that everyone is able to say, Jesus is Lord. And of course, Revelation says, even those who pierced him will see him and will see him as Lord and Lord of all. And the point I'm making is that the apostle seems to be saying that these things have been hidden until now. And to me, that is mind-boggling. 
that God kept these secrets from the prophets, even though they were the mouthpieces, kept these secrets from the angels. But in the gospel age, he reveals these things to us through faith. That we're able to see things that other people do not see. I love that picture on the cross when Jesus is being crucified with two other criminals. One of them is able to see that there is a king here. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That is the blessedness of the gospel age. These things are hidden. They're in the, in the Old Testament. And then they're revealed with the coming of the Lord Jesus. Here are the words of the Lord Jesus himself about this hiddenness. Chapter 13 of, uh, of Matthew's, Matthew's Gospel. Remember that he starts with the parable of the sower. And then the disciples ask him, why are you speaking in parables? And in verse 11 he says, Matthew 13 verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets just even that word. If something is secret, that means that only a privy, uh, only a little private group know about it. Others don't know what is secret, what is hidden. He, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to which you belong if you're a Christian has been given to you. Those secret things, the fact that God wants to confide in you because you're his child. You remember what the Lord Jesus says, I call you my friends. John chapter 15. I call you my friends, not my servants, not my messengers, not my angels. I call you my friends because the servant doesn't know what his master is about. But I call you my friends because I'm able to confide in you. And this is what, in, in a sense, friendship is about. I'm thinking here of, of Genesis 18, and I, and I see this picture of God with these three men and having a little debate. Shall I confide in my friend Abraham? What I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? And then he decides, yeah, I, th- I think I'll tell them. That is our privilege. The privilege of being able to see these things that are hidden. So I'm just making the point, are these things hidden? And scripture seems to say, yes, they are. And yet, we have the privilege of um, having access to them. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but not to them. That is what the Lord Jesus says. And you remember uh, the Minister of Finance from Ethiopia uh, when he met uh, Philip in the desert. He was reading from Isaiah. And Philip asks him, Can you, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? I just read it. I come annually to Jerusalem, but I don't understand what I'm reading. And so Philip starts with Isaiah 53 and then explains to them about Jesus. 
and then they end to go into water and is baptized and comes to Africa rejoicing to have been part of the kingdom. Are these gems really hidden? Well, the New Testament says, yes, they are, but not to you. If you're a Christian, then God regards you as a friend and wants to share his secrets with you. And the Apostle Paul was just so taken up with this that he, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. These secret things, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be opened so that you can understand uh, you can understand these things. Now, if they are hidden, this is my second question I want to ask. If these things are hidden, as the scriptures I've, I've shared with you seem to indicate, then how do we find them? I've implied that they are not hidden from you if you're a Christian, but how do we find them? Again, let me uh, refer you to a number of scriptures that uh, give us some clue. Uh, we sometimes speak of the means of grace. Grace works through means. Our salvation works through means. Those who call on him will not be put to shame, but there is the means that are followed. There's a path that leads to the implementation of that. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. This is what the Lord Jesus uh, says. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. When he, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell, tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. You know, ultimately, these things that are hidden are about Jesus, our Savior. And the Apostle, the Apostle, well, the Lord Jesus here is saying that these things that are hidden, the Holy Spirit will enable you to understand, understand them. And that is what he that, that is what he promises. Let me take you back to Luke. I read from Luke uh, last week. Luke chapter, 20, chapter 24. And verse 44, he says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. As I said last week, I was concerned about what's written in the law of Moses, about the Lord Jesus, his priesthood, the salvation, all that. The prophets, which I'm, I'll, be going, I'll be focusing on a little bit at the end, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand. 
So if they're hidden, how do we understand them? Well, he opened their minds so that they could understand. And when he had the, the disciples, they told those parables, and they were often left still puzzled. And so there were tutorials afterwards, little seminars afterwards, going over the stuff that had been preaching so that they could understand the things of the kingdom. So how do we find them? Well, the help that comes from the Spirit of God. And again, the Apostle uh, Paul, just to take you back to what I was uh, alluding to in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, the blessings that we have in, you know, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's listing these, uh, he's listing these blessings that we have. And one of them is that he made, in verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. When we respond to the Lord Jesus, then the mystery is revealed to us. We are guided by the Spirit of Christ. Just as we read in, uh, just as we read in 1 Peter, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with greatest care tried to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ was pointing them. But the Spirit of Christ is with us to lead us in all truth, to convict the world of sin, to convict, to, to tell us about righteousness, to tell us about how we can be right with God. If it's hidden, how do we find them? Well, the help of the author. Uh, that is why, you know, as a young Christian, so impatient to understand what God has said, going through the whole Bible, I'm reading through, uh, through Isaiah, and then some things I don't understand, and the sort of scribble, uh, sort of still there in my first Bible, scribbling in the margin, what are you saying? What do you mean? Uh, and then, of course, later on, the Lord reveals to me what that was, uh, that, what that was being said. And obviously, you don't get understanding in day one. You know, that's why we keep meeting day by day, Sunday by Sunday, learning these, these glorious mysteries, these things that have been hidden for ages and yet are available to us now. Thirdly, I want to say that these gems, their revelation is about timing. Remember what the Apostle Paul says concerning the Lord Jesus and this issue of God's timetable, in the fullness of time. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. It's all, it's all there in the Old Testament, but for these things to be revealed, it was about timing. When the time had fully come, Galatians 4.4, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might know the full rights of sonship. And that was unthinkable for Jews that we could call God Father, our Father. In a sense, Jesus was crucified for that very thing, for calling God Father. And yet in the fullness of time and through the Lord Jesus, 
Jesus says, you can call him Father. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. It's about timing. And as I read from Ephesians, again, Ephesians chapter 10, when the time had come, God revealed these things through the gospel. And again, Peter, in the fullness of time, in the gospel age, these things were revealed. And what was revealed in the fullness of time? These things are hidden. We find them with the help of God. And it's about the right timing according to God's timetable. But what is it about the timing and the content and, and all that kind of stuff? So one of the things that hit me back, I think, some maybe 40 years ago, uh, when, when Isaiah turns to grace, Isaiah turns gospel, so that scholars even divide Isaiah up in sections. Uh, uh, Proto-Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, Trito-Isaiah. That this thing is so different that it can't be the same Isaiah. Chapter 40. Comfort, comfort you, my people. Say to Jerusalem that her sin is dealt with. And then from chapter 14 to the 40s there, God is just showing what I could only invent a word. I mean, uh, I don't think that's a proper English word. But the godness of God, the uniqueness of, of God. And against the backdrop of religion and gods, and in Isaiah particularly, we find this. It's about the godness of God. Let, let me just take you, take you there. Let's get a little gadionko from, from Isaiah. So he'll be my main prophet. Uh, he speaks about the Lord Jesus more than any of the other prophets. So in chapter 40, for example, he starts with this wonderful comforting message. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. So it's not just tossed aside. Her sin is paid for. And the only way that her sin is paid for is through that once for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 40, and verse, uh, let me pick up from verse 25. This is where I'm getting this idea of the godness of our God, that the uniqueness of our God. To whom will you compare me? Verse 25. Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. And then he challenges any, any competitors there. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? And then scientists come along and say, it's a big bang. Eh? So the big bang created the monkeys. So the big bang created the bananas. And the big bangs created the, the little ant. The big bang, you find a computer in somebody's office and you start speculating, it must have been a big bang that put all this thing together. 
I mean, sometimes, like the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1, they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. I call myself a scientist because I was trained as a scientist to begin with. But it was precisely from that perspective that I discovered that ultimately you can't live without faith. And to me, in a sense, my approach to the Bible is, I think it's very scientific. You know, some of these words that we have, we have distorted, because science is just has got to do with knowledge. I'm involved in counseling, and uh, my colleagues like to call themselves uh, psychotherapists. But all that means is the healing of the soul. Psychology, words about the soul. And we want to compete with God. Like nowadays in counseling, there's a lot of spirituality. So people will say things like, I'm spiritual, very spiritual, but I'm not a Christian. I'm spiritual, but I'm not a believer. Trying to be religious without God. And that has always been there. And that's why this challenge, lift your eyes to the heavens. Who created this? The only one who can say anything about that. In the beginning, God created all these things. Who brought out the starry hosts one by one? And so and you can read through, through that. You see the, something of what I'm calling the godness of God. Chapter 42 of, of Isaiah. Again, a little bit of, a little bit there. Verse 6. I, 42, this is about the Lord Jesus particularly. Here is my servant whom I will uphold. It's talking about the Lord Jesus and the kind of servant he's going, he's going to be. Now God speaks about himself. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will make, I will take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. And that was very different from what the Jews expected. That Jesus would come as Lord, new covenant that includes the Gentiles. Remember how we talked about the, the inclusiveness of, uh, of the gospel that Luke depicts at the arrest of, uh, after the arrest of the Apostle, Apostle Paul. So the godness of God, this grace that, uh, uh, that is exhibited. Let me read along the passage from 41, just to, to focus on this, what I'm calling the godness of God. There's a challenge again thrown to the, to the idols. Verse 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your argument, says God's Jacob, says Jacob's God. Bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were. So that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us things to come. Tell us about the future. 
Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are God. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. He who chooses you is detestable. And then it, in Isaiah depicts this scene where somebody goes and cuts a tree and carves it and then stands there and is calling it, uh, calling it God. And, and God is kind of mocking that, that kind of situation and saying how ridiculous that is. Verse 28, I look, but there is no one. No one among them to give counsel. No one to give answer when I ask them. See, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. And you might, you might remember that scene on Mount Carmel where Elijah challenges 400 prophets of Baal and says, let's see which God answers. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. And you remember how they went through all their rituals and then eventually Elijah is mocking them because there is but one God. And he's describing in Isaiah particularly his, uh, his characteristics. Now the Torah introduces him to us as the creator and deliverer. The prophets were primarily preachers of the day, expounding and interpreting and applying the law of Moses. But through them, as we saw in, in 1 Peter, through them we also see God's plan, God's purpose to be revealed when the time had fully come in Christ. So through the prophets we see God's plan to reconcile sinners to himself in a way that they clearly predicted, even though they didn't fully understand what they were saying. But they predicted the coming of the Lord Jesus very accurately. And this is centuries before they came. And that's one of the challenges in Isaiah to the idols. You tell us what happened yesterday. You tell us what's going to happen 50 years from now. A hundred years from now, four centuries from now, which is what happened in the, day, in the time of the Lord Jesus, 400 years pass before it's fulfilled and yet clearly predicted in the prophets, particularly Isaiah. And so here is a comment about the uniqueness as a result of that, the uniqueness of Christianity as a revealed religion. So these things are hidden. Jesus says these things are hidden from them, but they're revealed to you. So Christianity is not a man-made religion. This is not some kind of research that we've done and then come to certain conclusions which in a way is what my Christianity was to begin with. I'd done a lot of thinking, a lot of reflection, and I felt you needed a purpose to live, you needed some kind of hero in your life, and I just happened to choose Jesus. But obviously he wasn't impressed until I had an encounter, an encounter with him. So he had to reveal himself to me in a very personal way. 
So Christianity is a revealed religion. And one of the, one of the reasons we have these prophets before the events is because they're peculiar events. I mean, how many times you have virgins giving birth? The time of the Lord Jesus, you know, when Mary is told, you're going to be shouting, says the priest, you know, how is that going to happen? So the uniqueness of God, the, the fact that this has been spoken about in Isaiah, Mary is able to surrender to that. Let it be done to me according to, uh, according to your word. The raising of the dead. There's a little sample of that among the prophets. But that's not something that happens all the time. The details of the king, details of the king of the Jews, centuries before it happens. The uniqueness of the collection of books that we call the Bible. There is no other book like the collection of books that we call the Bible. There is no other book like that. Authored by, can you imagine an authorship of 40 people who don't have some kind of writing a seminar or boot camp or whatever so that they can compare notes and they're separated by centuries, by 1500 years and they're writing the same book talking about the same Jesus and talking about the same salvation there's no other book like that. I have got, a, got I mean, I've got the Hindu Bible. I've got some of the uh, aberrations of Christianity, uh, the uh, uh, the Baha'i Bible. Uh, I, well, yes, uh, the Bahula. Uh, I have uh, the Muni's Bible. <laughs> I've studied uh, that to see what what it is that is. Uh, is, is, is claiming I have the Quran but there is oh Joseph Smith with his golden plates and all that kind of stuff but there is no book like the Bible and some people say it was written by men of course it was written by men <laughs> but men moved by God Men moved by God, and when you read it, it is self-authenticating. And that's why I could challenge God with things that seem to be kind of ridiculous. Not because I want to challenge his godness, but because I have a need. I have this need, and I'm asking you because you're able to do all things. So the uniqueness of, uh, of the Christian religion, it's a revealed religion. It's revealed because unless God reveals these things, they remain hidden. So the essential content, then, what is then revealed? The essential content that is revealed has got to do, centers around the Lord Jesus. Let me just refer you to Galatians just now. Galatians chapter... Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. That the content of the Old Testament outwardly has got to do with the Lord Jesus. 
The, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in verse uh, 23 of Galatians 3. And that's why he has that altercation with Peter in chapter 2 of Galatians. Because Peter is moving away from the centrality of the message of the gospel. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So the Old Testament was to lead us to Christ. That's why the apostle, that's what the Lord Jesus says to those men on a mouse, how foolish you are to believe these things. Did the Christ have to suffer? Didn't he have to suffer before he could enter his glory? So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. And then uh, about this uh, redemption of the Lord Jesus, verse 14 of the same book, Galatians 3, verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. That passage that I read from, from, from uh, Isaiah tells us that he was to be to bring this new covenant uh, that includes Gentiles so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So the essential content revolves around the Lord Jesus. Let me read a little bit more from Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. But when the time had fully come, we've already, in a sense, alluded to this timing business. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. And Jesus says in John chapter 15, but the son, and since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. This is about assurance. This is about the assurance that we have by the Spirit of God, that we are children of God, and we relate to him as daddy, Abba, father. So it's all about Jesus. So let me then just conclude with a, a sample of how these things are spoken about concerning the Lord Jesus in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. It's a very detailed, a very detailed... Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to kind of read, read and study that, that chapter uh, I just want to make a point uh, that these gems about the Lord Jesus are hidden in the Nevi'im, the second volume of the Jewish Bible, that is the prophets, and Isaiah is just a sample. I've already picked bits and pieces from, uh, from Isaiah, but here is, a, here is something that particularly focuses on the salvation that we have in him. I'm not going to read it all or uh, try to expound, as you've noticed, I've, I've been doing that 
none of that really just sort of commenting on certain, uh, certain points that I wanted to get across with regard to these gems and where they're to be found and how we can find them. So I want to say first that this is all about Jesus. The previous chapter talks about the suffering of the Lord Jesus. And chapter 53 starts with how incredible this thing is. No wonder God has got to speak about these things before they take place. It's partly to confirm that these things are so because they are already spoken about in detail. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he begins to describe the coming of the Lord Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Uh, So maybe if you entered him into a competition with Mr. Universe, he probably wouldn't come out as a winner. Uh, Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. If you look at the story of his crucifixion, you can see that depicted. The way they, the way they, they mock him, the way they spit on him, the way they, they address him, the way they, the Apostle Paul says, he surrendered to death, even the death of a cross. It is this humiliation and trying to make things as, as uh, not only as cruel, but also as humiliating as possible. Isaiah is already spe- is speaking about that. Surely, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. This is Jesus suffering in our place. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace that the Apostle Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 5. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That peace comes because he was punished. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. The Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is redemption only in Christ. Each of us has turned to his own way. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 2 and going into chapter 3. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians and chapter 5, uh, 20, 21 there. He was oppressed and afflicted. And you can read the rest of it. You see how detailed, how detailed it is. Four, four, four centuries before Jesus comes, he's telling us about Jesus. He's telling us about his death. He's telling us about why he died. 
And that is what Philip was explaining to the Minister of Finance from Ethiopia. Read as I couldn't understand, but uh, Philip explained that to him. And the inclusiveness of this gospel that is described that is described here in Acts chapter 10 verse 15 the Lord says to Peter don't call anything unclean that I have declared clean let me just end with a, a reading of Luke chapter 24 again so these hidden gems about the Lord Jesus, you know, what I've tried to, uh, to convey is that, yes, they are really hidden, uh, but we can find them with the help of the Spirit of Jesus, and their revelation is about timing, and it reveals the uniqueness of our God. It reveals the uniqueness of our religion. And the essential content of that of those gems they are about Jesus. The center around Jesus. And the sample of those gems are there in Isaiah 53. Now please do read Isaiah 53, even just, just to warm your heart. If you're familiar with that, just just to, to see the things that have been spoken about along the Lord Jesus centuries before he even came. And yet such, such detail given there. It's, it's a poem, and yet that poem is not very difficult to understand. It, don't, it doesn't use very complicated poetic language. Let me just read again uh, from Luke's Gospel, beginning in verse 25. He's rebuking, at this point, he's rebuking the disciples. How foolish you are, verse 25 of of uh, Luke 24. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Didn't Isaiah say that these things must happen first to me before entering his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 44. This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The gospel is very inclusive, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have received, you have been clothed with power from on high. So yes, there might be hidden gems, but we have the help of the Spirit of God to reveal to us these wonderful things that constitute 
our inheritance, that constitute meaningful life now, that constitute eternal life. This is eternal life, to know you, 